Great. Well, Karen, uh, thank you for taking time. Uh, we finally get to meet to talk about uh, your film that's coming out. Uh, and it, it's I got a chance to see it. And it's called Curse of Willow Song or The Curse of Willow Song. Excuse me. Uh, so I appreciate you taking time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so, uh, as after I watched it, I was very excited to talk to you about it because I found it found it very fascinating. But what I usually like to do is, if you wouldn't mind giving my listeners a, a, a synopsis, kind of in your own words, maybe what uh, the Curse of Willow Song is about. Um, okay, it's a young woman who has just gotten out of prison, and uh, she is basically struggling as a like a new parolee, and um, essentially she does not realize until like you know when she actually um sort of falls between the cracks things go sideways she ends up uh, having to live in sort of an abandoned warehouse and uh yeah she discovers that she has some dark nightmares that aren't of her own control <laughs> that's that's a good way to put it i uh i'm gonna say i went into the movie cold i usually like to go in the movie cold i know we get like pr and descriptions but i kind of like going in cold because i like to you know be surprised or or what to expect and and your film very much surprised me in, in a in a great way i i did not see where we ended up from where you start with this film and and i love that i loved the direction you took uh so uh what what kind of influenced you with this story because you also wrote the story uh, what kind of influences in that uh what what you know what made you want to tell this story um I mean, I had a few influences. So look-wise and feel-wise, I was watching a lot of really cool old, like 1960s Japanese samurai films. Mm. So a lot of the look and feel of it is like, I was thinking of like Kari Neko and Kaidan mm. and uh, Anibaba and that sort of thing. So that no theater feeling, like I love the, they're all in black and white. They have sort of a dreamy, soft quality that I really loved. And so that was what um, inspired the look of it. The character is from um, my work in documentary where I was actually following some female convicts, actually. Um, mm. they're, they're in female um, firefighters who were like their inmates who were learning firefighting. So I was actually in Oregon and I was following them and interviewing them. And uh, Willow's character is sort of based on some of those interviews. And then finally, um, I was watching, I, I don't know if you're a big fan, but I love Dead Files. So I might be like that crazy person who loves dead files and one of the things that i had not really seen done in film before was um uh, psychokinesis mm -hmm. you know where you're actually creating dark matter from your own energy and, and that sort of stuff so that's where i was playing around with and so yeah just uh yeah anyway so that's the sort of the stew that actually is and then i ended up writing um a short story like a novella actually it's longer than a short story it's a novella maybe 50 60 pages or so during the national novel writing month that i do mm -hmm. um, november if i can and then i it took me two weeks to write that because i what i tend to do is sort of like a stream of conscious writing sort of mm -hmm. stuff i get up at stupid o'clock write for a couple of hours and then you know basically have my breakfast and that would be my day um, and I finished it early because it wasn't a full novel and I ended up taking the second half of the month to actually adapt it. So it actually almost sprung from my head, like, um, you know, Athena coming from the head of Zeus, you know, like it was kind of... <laughs> or, or dark matter coming from the, the head of a, a, a young woman. Uh... That, that too, yeah. So it's always fun when you have a loose idea of where you're going, but 
my favorite way, like I used to, as a writer, um, really be into like, okay, I've got this outline, I've got it all plotted out, you know, that sort of stuff. Nowadays, what I do is I actually tend to write myself a short story or a novella or something. And I don't actually necessarily know where I'm going. I've got some big ideas and bullet points, but I love the chain of, con like just that stream of conscious writing, because it's sort of like, instead of like writing to a beat, you know, like as writers, sometimes we have an outline, you're like, okay, here's the catalyst moment. Here's your blah, blah, blah it feels a little less organic. And I really love being able to just like write it and kind of not know exactly where it is and then go back and adapt it. So that's a, it, I think that's why when you said you were surprised, you know what, surprised me too, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked it though, because you, you mentioned it being organic and it did feel like an organic flow. And, and once you realize kind of what's going on um, and, and I, I kind of saw that influence too of, uh, you actually see it in in Asian horror quite a bit to where you don't quite get full explanation and, and you might not get everything. So you kind of have to put it together yourself in your imagination. And that's what I liked with this is I figured out what was going on. But at the same time, you don't get everything. How much of a challenge is that to, you know, hold the person's hand or allow your audience to kind of breathe and have their own conclusions? You know what, that's where the short story like treatment thing actually really helps because I'm telling me the story. So I have everything in, in mind, but when I'm adapting it, how much information I put in, I can be a little bit more like, you know what, I don't need all of this on, on there, but I know what, you know, basically, because right. it's almost like going through and erasing parts rather than, you know, like, it's not that I've left it out. I literally like, or that I didn't know. I do right. know. I little bits out and I actually that's what I I'm really influenced by Asian horror myself mm -hmm. so I love not knowing every single thing you know like I love when to me the unknown is what makes horror horror mm -hmm. like and the moment we know everything it's less you know when you think of your own I'm assuming you have paranormal experiences look at me I'm like yeah you know when you I, have your I, I have had I have had some I have had some I actually yeah. have so it was never explained Like you didn't get a wiki page after saying like, hey, this is what happened to you, right? Like, it's always that like, you have room. And to me, that's where real stairs actually are, because you know, that's where you're filling things in. And you're like, oh, I wonder if it was this. And uh, yeah, and, and to me, I've always liked the idea that films or any sort of art of any sort should be a dialogue. Like, I feel like your opinion is just as important as my opinion. Like I may have an answer, but I love the fact that you might have a totally different interpretation and that's actually the dialogue that we're having. Yeah, and, and that's what I, I really liked about uh, the Curse of Willow song is is I kind of pieced together myself and, and I got invested in a little bit more in it. And uh, doing it black and white, I loved black and white because uh, I think it really gives you a different perspective of what you're watching versus being in color because you actually focus more on certain things than mm -hmm. when there's all kinds of color. Don't get me wrong. I love color. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not totally old school, but I do like black and white because I think it helps draw your focus better. Is that, was that kind of your uh, reason maybe behind it was, was the black and white or, you know, or was it just yeah. the, going for that classic feel? I went for the classic feel because it was my influence, but, but also once we actually started filming, what we realized was that, the shadows, you know, the darkness of it, that it really had that noir feel to, to it. And I realized that when you actually, like, we actually had my monitor in black and white as well. Oh, so we nice. shot 
so that way what I saw was what we were going to get and so mm -hmm. we kind of did that as a, as a as a choice just to make it easier but what I really found was that um our lighting really changed our framing changed a lot like as in you know sometimes you can do like obviously in color you do a hit of color you know there's a theme to it here it was like wow we're really looking at shapes and um framing became a huge issue so the idea that uh, my my um director of photography thomas billingsley who i work with all the time we came up with this language where she was always willow was always filmed off center or behind mm -hmm. something so that the idea that she's never not been incarcerated her world even in prison or outside of prison still feels like a prison cell to her so it was uh just playing with that sort of stuff which I think is less obvious when you've got color because you've got lots of texture and color to play with. Whereas here, it's very stark. Those are shapes and angles and 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 that. Well, the starkness definitely. Uh, the 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 emptiness. That's one of the things the old black and white films really you notice is emptiness or dead air or you know the, the hiss from the recording back in the but especially space in here it felt like space was really important uh at least visually when i was watching it because uh especially near the end when wolf catches up to her or whatnot you know just that empty room and even the warehouse it was still sparse and even when she was in her halfway house uh which by the way uh Doing the POV, you made me angry in a good way. I got very, I got very angry at pretty much everybody who talked to Will Song. Okay. Yeah. You know what's interesting? I went back and reread my novella and I didn't realize that I'd done this, but I wrote it in second person. So mm. you're Willow. I mm. I like when I went back to read it, I was like, I wonder why I did this. Like sometimes I, I write things and I literally like I'm a dog that leaves a room. I was like, what room? You know, like yeah. So I did that. But I went back to read the script and, uh, or the story and I realized, oh, I wrote the thing in second person, like you're Willow when you do this, blah, blah, blah. And so it made sense when I was actually adapting it that there was a lot of talking to us in camera as if we were Willow. And so I, I really wanted to be in her space. And and you definitely put her put us in her space because I got frustrated at the social worker. I got frustrated, especially at the boss guy. I wanted her to like, I'm like, Oh man, you know, and then even with Wolf, you know, facing Wolf, it's like that really had an effect on me in, in a good way. I was like, man, I can't wait. I, I want. I was hoping for that shoe to drop, and you do drop the shoe out here, so to speak, uh, in the third act, which I appreciate quite a bit because I was like, yes, please, I need some comeuppance in this film. <laughs> That's so awesome. Um, did you feel claustrophobic? Did it make you feel a little bit like? When I was when I would when, when we're in her half in her house the the rehab the the halfway house very claustrophobic especially when she's in there with Flea um it felt felt very claustrophobic and then it felt a little less when she was in the warehouse and then when she was hiding again and you have the room full of chairs which was was uh, was great uh it got claustrophobic again so it, it is kind of a expanding contraction feel to it. See, going back to our conversation about the TARDIS, I'm really yes. all about space, like ba basically being too big or too small. Like, and both of those feel terrible to me. I don't, I neither like being in like that discombobulated, like I have too much space, nor do I want to be squished. So I, I think that my own paranoia of the either size basically <laughs> comes across in, in the film. I just wanted to know if anyone else felt it. Um, the construction worker boss literally is almost verbatim my experience on, um, 
I was getting my Nexus pass renewed for, you know, the Canada yeah. US border thing. And the guy basically was the construction boss oh. and he had all my paperwork. And I was just sitting like, and of course, when you're powerless, someone has your birth certificate, you know, your, your passport, they have everything. And they're just like, they're just drawing out this conversation and you're trying to be polite because they kind of hold all the power. It's a hard, it's a hard thing. I was just trying to like, you know, just remember what that was. And yeah, it, it was supposed to be a five minute interview and it, it ended up being 20 minutes of him grilling over like, oh, like what kind of films do you make? And I was like, oh no, oh, we've no. Gone so well. <laughs> it's a terrible conversation. Please give me my passport back. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing is like within a minute of the conversation, you know where it's going. And like I said, it, it was, it was, it was getting me angry. I was like, I was like, oh man, I, I oh, but I mean, you know, it's supposed to, I mean, I, I think that's where horror is most effective. And that was another thing that I appreciated quite a bit in this film is uh, not as many jump scares. I, I don't get me wrong. I think jump scares have their place and when used sparingly <laughs> and but i think more of the horror is just the background of stuff like you had in here wolf peering through the blinds watching and and her not knowing or you don't exactly trust what happened to flea and you wonder what happened to flea because flea's looking like seriously like you know i like that type of horror more so than boo yeah I, I think that our lives are horrifying enough, don't you think? Like it's in, and that's what I was trying to get across, which was the monsters in her head. I don't know if they even compare to the monsters that she's been dealing with, you know, in that in that world that she's living in. And um, yeah, just trying to make our everyday lives actually kind of horrifying, which I <laughs> sometimes <laughs> want. <laughs> and, and in here as well, I mean, horror always is a great conduit, I think, for commentary. Um, I think people overlook horror. Oh, it's about blood gore. And that, I'm like, they're morality plays. They're, they're, they're a way to address hot topics that you might not even realize you're being addressed. And you, I, I, I felt and I may be wrong, but I felt you had that here with Willow's song with, she's just trying to do right. She knows, you know, and we even find out later a little more about her character, no spoilers, but uh, she's trying to do right. And the system fights her every step of the way and i think some people might think oh this is over exaggerated but this isn't is it that over exaggerated to what actually happens no um i did a lot of research you know just around i have a lot of friends who work in social work and and, and uh you know and, and vancouver i don't know i'm sure it's like many other cities where um you know basically the our our poorer areas are and our more challenging areas are very much butted up against the more affluent areas so right. it's like you can't be blind to what's actually happening to the to the world around you. And so I, I think that was really important to me. And I actually, I'm so glad you said it because to me, that's the, the way we use horror. Like it's everything from Godzilla basically being like the Japanese experience of, of nuclear war to, you know, it's always been an allegory or a commentary on some tough things that we don't really want to deal with. And the best horror actually is like commentary on some level you know like right. you look at fairy tales i mean they're all morality plays you know what i mean like before they even got cleaned up as like the grimm's fairy tales it was always like kids being boiled in ovens and you know, like, just like like don't go there you know there's a witch in there and, and you know they're always like you know it, it's sort of like ways that we can actually live in our and navigate our lives better yeah and and that's why i appreciate the genre and i think it it gets mis 
labeled sometimes because there is are just the gore ones, the entertainment ones, you know, that aren't really making as much of a statement. But I mean, even my favorite horror movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, you look at that and, and you're like, that's kind of a statement on how rural America is abandoned by people and left to their own devices and if you if you leave it too far gone in the remote areas things can take a a turn (laughs) yeah i mean the brilliance of that filmmaking all the way through like i think we keep going back to these classics and and you know those big wides you know where you're like oh my god punch in and the tension of not seeing what we want to be basically be seeing like I, i think that sometimes with modern horror we can get so caught up in showing everything. Whereas when you look at our favorite classics, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like the original, it's like these big, you know, like, oh no, we want to get closer. I can't see what's happening. You know, like, and that's the excitement of what we're actually seeing. Like when we actually see Leatherface, you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, it's the, it's a holding back when we, when we can so that it does fall at, at the end, but we're not basically over explaining or over showing, you know. And, and you- <laughs> and you've got that. You've got that here in a uh, uh, Curse of Will's song. Is we don't see. There's something going on behind Willow. There's something going on that's connected to Willow, but we don't really get to see the whole thing until like the very end. Of mm-hmm. and even then, like you said, we you're not holding our hands. So you're like, well, what was that? What what is going on? And, and what I always love is the question when you get a good horror film uh what happens next you know where does this go from here you know because i i am i'm connected to willow's song and and i want to know what happens next it's it's nice to know that because again i i think a good horror always leaves with the question you know sometimes we do a a a sequel but a lot of times it's nice when we don't you know it's just like oh I wonder what happens to her and I wonder where she is and what happened to it. But, um, you know, and, and little things like I'm, I'm happy that, you know, if you can fill things in, but I've known um, friends or it, it's, it's a thing that I actually found, which was that sometimes with drug addiction, um, a lot of, I didn't realize this, a lot of uh, people who have psychic abilities, et cetera, mm-hmm. might actually start doing drugs and, and that right. because you're trying to mask it. It's actually a way of actually dealing with it. So, you know, like there's little hints all the way through of, who she is, why she got to this place where she is, how long has she had her abilities, how long have these nightmares plagued her, and basically all the choices that she's made. And it's all there, but it's just not spelled out in a way that, you know, you're like, oh, there it is. I, you know, like there's, yeah. You get that through the dialogue and that through Danny and and her uh, her brother and that. You have that conversation when she's kind of in that one uh, mental state. Uh, you know, th- this whole cast, it's it's... It's a smaller cast, but everybody seemed to play off each other well. Was this a group of folks you had worked with before, or did it take some time to find them? Or, yeah, I, I mean, my favorite way of casting, to be honest, is that you know, I I tend to um, stalk my Facebook feed for friends who are actors. So then I kind of look around and people that I want to work with, and uh, sometimes I'll design characters around who they are. Sometimes it's like, oh, I haven't seen them do this before. I'm going to make them like I'm going to give this the the worst haircut ever this is this will be fun you know like so there's a slight like sadistic cruelty in, in this sure. as well but um a lot of times uh in this case i was working with a lot of actors that i um worked with sometimes in smaller roles sometimes in bigger roles and just kind of expanding and, and creating it for them so it's always fun when i can do that yeah uh valerie tian uh really puts in a great performance but also ingrid Nil- nilson because 
her flea you're frustrated with that character so much and that's from her performance she really seems to seem to really get into that role and those two played off each other did they have some time to spend like to get familiar with one another before the movie started or yeah I mean the the thing for me is that I don't tend to do rehearsals but Mm. my actors often like I love that they go off and do the rehearsals and I love being surprised the reason I don't do rehearsals isn't because I'm like, you know, oh, I don't do rehearsals. I'm happy if they do. But I I, I love the element of surprise for me as a, as a director, because um, maybe because I also work in documentary. But sometimes I love not being in that sort of control. I love actually seeing like, oh, they did this to their character. Like once I've written the character and we've had a talk about it and, you know, I might incorporate some, you know, notes and thoughts from the actors then I love to hand it over to them. And essentially they inhabit this character. And at this point, I'm merely filming what they're bringing to the table rather than, yeah. So it's a it's, it's both controlled and not controlled, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have a lot more, because I know there's some directors that that are like, that's not what we have in the script. And, mm-hmm. and I want you to do this. And it sounds like you have more of a collaboration with, with your yeah, cast. Yeah, of basically being able to see that they brought something to it. Like, you know, with Ingrid, we worked together quite a lot. And uh, actually, I just directed her in a brand new short film that she pitched me the story. It's sort of based on Flea. Like, it's funny because there's some key moments in it that we had kept going back to that were actually from Ingrid's experiences. And um, I wrote that into a script after she sort of, you know, wrote out the storyline. And uh, we just finished a short film. So, you know, I love working with people again and again, if we can actually, you know, just keep expanding on our relationship and how we're working. But um, yeah, I just think it's really important to me that I am not, you know, the be all end all for this. Because to me, once we come together and we're working, it's like there's something special that happens in that collaboration that isn't just all from my head. Like if it was really all me, it would be me, some hand puppets, a kazoo, and my iPad. Like it would, that, <laughs> it would be like a film by Karen Lamb and it would literally be me, me doing all the, the voices. But given the fact that it isn't, it's a collaborative medium, then it's like basically I'm creating sort of like a party atmosphere where people can come and bring their stuff, you know, and we can actually uh, have some fun with it. Well, and then they feel more invested in it, too. And it, it might feel, uh, like you said, uh, more organic, which you were kind of going for before with them, because this is something that they, they've they kind of attached themselves to. You're not just being told to do this. This is part of me. But yeah, the Flea character was both frustrating and sympathetic all the way through. Even at the end, I still felt some sympathy for Flea, even though I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm glad. Because, you know, she's still one of my favorite characters. Uh, it's funny, I was thinking about different characters that I've written over the years. And she's still one of my favorites because to me, uh, I really think that being like doing the right thing, having great morality, doing, you know, basically being kind, all of that, sometimes that's really attached to our privilege. You know, when you're literally trying to survive and you're scrabbling and you have had like the worst upbringing, sometimes like you just aren't making the right decisions maybe you know like they're they're covering your own butt a lot of times and I I, I have respect for someone who's a, a true survivor and she's a survivor like and that's how I, I look at her well and she was a good opposite to uh Willow because she's almost as if what if Willow decided not to make her good decisions or try to still improve herself <laughs> that that could be Willow easily Enough. Yeah, and it's easy to fall off the wagon, you know, when you see mm-hmm. Flea coming down the street and she's back on, you know, basically back on whatever substance she's on, it's heartbreaking. And I see it again and again, just on our streets, you know, like mm-hmm. sometimes you'll, you'll meet people and they're 
in a good state. And then you see them like, unfortunately, a few weeks later and you're like, oh no, what happened? You know, and it's, it, yeah. So it is unfortunately like the, it's the, it's the reality of our world. And, you know, the pandemic did not make things easier. I don't know about your <laughs> cities, but oh no. my God, gotten worse everywhere. It, it feels like the social net just fell apart. And so, yeah. It, it really got mixed up and 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 messed up and a lot of people i think got left behind especially during the pandemic in in certain cities and that and it just you're still seeing the fallout from it uh yeah. quite a bit yeah it's just terrifying like i i keep thinking to myself are these end times is this it like are we in armageddon <laughs> like, are there horsemen because there's already pestilence and war right like i'm like is there famine you know where's the pale rider i'm i'm seriously in that zone right now of like oh my god this is it if it is the apocalypse, I'm going to need to get more armor on my car. I got to put some spikes on it or whatnot. You know, you know that was the most disappointing thing about our pandemic. I thought to myself, like, I thought there'd be zombie hordes. And instead, I'm just buying toilet paper. I was like, really? That's like, huh. You know, I, I thought I'd look like Mad Max. And there'd be like, you know, I'd be there's like, you know, guitarists would be there. I'd be wearing buttless chaps. You know, like I, I had this thing planned. And it, instead, it's just me like. Where's the toilet paper? You know, it's just sad. <laughs> yeah, the most fights you have is is fighting for toilet paper and, and rice <laughs> and 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 meat oh. at the counter and and yeah, the grocery store and you're just like oh. sourdough bread. That seems yeah. to be what we thought. Like we sat around making sourdough for a year. Like I don't. I, I it's like really that's our pandemic. That's kind of lame. <laughs> And, and I always wonder, you know, you could see the influences, obviously, of the pandemic on the horror community. And I always wondered, it was similar to, you know, when you have major real life events that are, are horrific, like the pandemic and even like 9-11, horror seems to change quite a bit of what people will actually respond to. How, how do you mm -hmm. adapt to that? Because that's the, I, that sounds like it would be a challenge because you're like, well, I could write this, but that's not going to match anything that just happened down the street. It totally screwed me over because, you know, in my mind, prior to the pandemic, people behaved in a rational sort of way. And then they didn't. And then I was like, so if I rewrote like a zombie film now, you would have to have people saying like, zombies don't exist. Come bite me. You know what I mean? Like I was like, oh, is that what we do now? Like I this isn't making any sense. And so it was illogical on such a, a large level. And so, and actually during the pandemic, I had a really hard time writing. I just was, it was almost like, um, you know, I, I always think my writing and, and our creativity sort of comes from one central source. I don't know, like a motherboard <laughs> plugging in, but I think our motherboard was so screwed at that point that I was plugging in, it was just static. So I was yeah. like, I'm not writing anything then like I know some people did but I I know for me it was just like seriously radio static is all I got so I it took me until I think I'm starting to get my creative juices back but you know it took it it took a while like I wasn't it was just like blank page and I never have like the blank cursor with nothing where I didn't feel like doing anything and I was like nah just gonna sit here on the couch and think about my sourdough you know like I mean, <laughs> yeah uh yeah, and it, it, it's it's interesting too because one thing though the pandemic I think did do is kind of uh, uh, confirm what horror writers have been showing for ages. You know, some of those dumb decisions—they're like, "Oh yeah, people wouldn't really be like that." No, people really wouldn't choose. No, it turns out, yeah, they, no. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, they totally did. I each time again, it's like, huh? Like I really seriously have to rethink zombie movies and Contagion movies. <laughs> Like both of those are now like, well, that's not how it turned out at all. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> yeah, you get people looking at it going, yeah, no, I, I've been through worse. This isn't scaring me at all. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> and it made us rethink. I, I think that too, like, you know, we, we, I think we got so bored at some point too, just being on our couches, like how we wanted to consume things. Like, at, you know, the first year you're like, yeah, I'm going to watch all the things on my couch. And then at some point you're like, I want to watch nothing on my couch. I want to, <laughs> I just want to, yeah. I think this last year I've spent more time in actual theaters than I have in my entire life just because mm -hmm. I'm so happy to be around other humans on a big screen and I know that you know we're dicey as far as what's happening coming up but I'm like I just want around be around people watching films together where we're laughing or screaming together like I, I yeah now have you had a chance to see the Curse of Willow song on the big screen did, did you get a chance to get a theatrical release for it I got uh, during the film festival, we had some limited screenings that were, um, you know, smaller audiences. Right. And so it was like, I, I so miss that too, because then people actually, just so that people know too, this like, it is darkly funny. It's not meant to be so right. serious. Mm -hmm. And so it was nice to actually have an audience because people would actually laugh at some of the lines. And I'm like, oh, good. It was intended to be like, it's not deadly serious. It is, uh, yeah, there's yeah. some lines that are actually supposed to be dark funny. Yeah, there, there's there's humor. I did feel the humor involved, especially uh, I, I'm not going to completely spoil, but I'm just going to say the eye gimmick. I loved the eye gimmick uh, near the end of the film. I, I just that made me smile so much. Uh, cool. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, you, you do work in humor, maybe not so much as uh, your other work, which uh, I did see uh, the uh, <laughs> bring it on, cheer or die, which. <laughs> You look like you're having, you must have, you had fun with that one quite a bit. And it's a different tone, but. Uh... It's funny. Willow, I actually made beforehand. Sure. And uh, the studio actually really liked what I did on that. And that's how I got hired on to bring it on. But it's so funny because that was one of the things that they were worried about. I was like, your films are a little serious, you know, like this is comedy. And I was like, no, I swear, I'm not that not funny. <laughs> Uh, well, it, it it's hilarious, and it, I I loved the spirit of it, the the slasher spirit. And I actually have seen your uh, short film, The Doll Parts, because I have Shevenge. I got a chance to to review Shevenge, and uh, I watched Doll Parts, and that I, I remember Doll Parts quite a bit because that was a surprising one as well. Yeah, and did you recognize the boss? Is the guy that's a yeah? So that's yeah. my friend Dave. Like, try to kill as often as possible, but he survived uh, Willow. So if I. <laughs> around and think of ways that i could kill david so he's lovely but and so maybe maybe a short spit off for willow you could kill him in that so there you go <laughs> construction worker boss from hell i'm gonna kill him right <laughs> <laughs> there you go he, he he shows up at her address going you know i could still give you a job ah! and there you go see there <laughs> I love it. I would totally do that. So uh, I, I gathered, uh, looking at your body of work and just from talking to you, that, that you're a horror fan. Uh, well, I know that it's always a hard, difficult this choice for me. My friends give me crap about it because I'm like, what's your favorite movie? And I'm like, well, choose the genre, the mood, and the day. But do you have one yeah. in particular that you like go to a lot? You know, it's it's all very mood driven and it's all very, um, very much like what I tended to be researching at the time, you know, and, and, and that. But yeah, I, I mean, what again, you've had the same thing, too, I'm sure. The things that you think are comedic are not comedic for anyone else. Right. Like you're like, ah, this was darkly funny. And they're like, that was not 
funny. What did you just laugh all the way through? Like I went to like one of my favorite, um, like I love Korean, those serial killer thrillers. Oh, sure. <laughs> and so I, I remember seeing, I saw the devil, which I love by the way. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember sitting next to this teen guy in, 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 in the thing and I was laughing. I thought it was awesome. Like the, you know, with the Achilles heel and all the, the sluts. And I was laughing and there's the cannibal scene and I was laughing through that. And when the credits rolled, he turned to me and was like, I don't think you're well, lady. <laughs> We, we just had we just had that conversation uh with the green inferno i saw the green inferno in the theater and my friend uh, she went with me uh and and she got a kick out of it because i was like giggling and and rocking in my chair and, and trying to stifle laughs as the horrific things were portrayed out on the screen yes! Yes! you know and I, i'm just I'm, I'm laughing or uh you know i watched uh uh evil dead trap and evil dead trap too and there's parts of that that just had me laughing that i know i probably shouldn't be laughing at no, it should be. this is the thing like whenever i sh whenever my films screen in regular you know sure and, and willow screened more at a lot of more conventional film festivals like so it did its mix of like horror and genre festivals and conventional things like i think conventional like audiences are quite serious about the whole thing but what i find and what i love about our horror crowd is that we laugh all the way through and they, they get all our funny you know as filmmakers we're like oh i thought this was supposed to be funny and then you, you're sitting with the regular audience and they're like oh my god what and then you watch it with the horror audience and we're dying like we're just killing ourselves and i'm like i'm amongst my people like this we all get what this actually is and so i it, it makes me happy to like again if you can find a great horror festival to be at you're basically amongst your people and you could all laugh together at the same horrible things and so <laughs> yeah we were just we were uh, uh here and i'm in the middle of probably the farthest away from anything i'm in the middle of wisconsin so i i'm uh -huh like away from anything Hollywood, but we have our horror fest. So we have an indie film community, which I discovered about 11, 12 years ago and have been trying to bring uh, a light to ever since been supporting quite a bit. But one of the films I read across was Ed Gein, the musical. Oh my God. What? <laughs> yes. There's, there's an Ed Gein, the musical. Uh, it, it came out like 10 or 12 years ago and then it got re-released for like a 10th anniversary or whatever. It's hilarious, you know, but people are like, you're laughing at Ed Gein. I'm like, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, of course we are. <laughs> of course we are. You know, and I think, I think that's another thing, uh, like a stigma on some horror fans. They're like, how can you watch that? It's like, you watch that because I think, as you said, real world tends to be even more horrific. But at the end of the day, regard, pretty much regardless, some of the movies, yeah, but most of them you watch, you go, yeah, they yelled cut, the person stood up and and they went about their business. There's still a lot. It's not like you're watching, you know, uh, hopefully you're not watching real deaths. On, uh, you know, you're just, but no, you enjoy it. You realize yeah. that this is all make-believe when you're watching something like this. And I think if you can let go of that, you have more freedom to enjoy it a little more. And like you said, laugh maybe a yeah, little you bit know, more. You think of us in camp when we are little and you're putting a flashlight under your chin and you're trying to scare everybody else you know like that's the fun of horror to me and honestly um you know i've directed like more dramatic things you know sure. and, and but mainly i stay with horror but mainly because we have so much fun making horror like 
you know, like there is nothing more fun. I'm sorry to say, but bring in the blood, you know, like, I get like ah! and so it's like, it's like you have to, because as a filmmaker, like my, my thing is that you have to film everything without the blood first, you, you know, mm -hmm. once the toothpaste is out of the, the tube, right. the tube, like the toothpaste back in. So you have to run things dry and then get all your coverage first and then you can bring in the blood. But I'm always excited when the blood comes out. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a cleanup because blood really stains. Like all mm. fake blood literally turns everything pink. So, and then you get all the different formulations. And I love when my like special effects teams, like this is why I love to do horror. They're like, okay, how gloopy do we want it? It's like, oh, is that jam? You know, like I want the clots in it. I want clots on this one. It's like, oh, that one's too purple. Not like too purple. Oh, that's too pink. You know, and I right. love coming up with the, the shades and the formulations. And you know, you're a geek when that happens. You're like, oh yeah, love that. Like I was driving around for a long time with a bucket full of pus in my backseat. And I was like, please don't let me get pulled over because I've got body parts and pus in my backseat. And I just cannot explain any of what's happening. So though, though if they pull you over, they're like, uh, excuse me, babe, I take you downtown. You're like, wow, those special effects artists are really good. They convinced the guy. <laughs> exactly. It was like, like with doll parts, I had the hand, like yeah. all the little they were in my back seat for the long like in the back trunk for the longest time so every so often i'd like you know you slam on the brakes and i have an suv like a hand would come rolling <laughs> like, yeah no, oh, pay, pay no attention to the hand under the, the Don't chair worry about it. yeah. <laughs> give the person a hand you know it's like all the terrible things like evil things are a foot <laughs> no no they're they're a hand actually <laughs> Uh, you know you mentioned gore uh that's another thing people are like oh how can you watch gory films i'm like are you talking killing you know a dead alive freaking brain dead is, is brilliant from from the guy who brought you lord of the rings right <laughs> yes oh god yes like it's like a and it's funny because when you watch lord of the rings you totally know peter jackson still loves you know what i mean it's like oh he's excited now because i'm excited <laughs> So, yeah, he's our people. <laughs> he's definitely our people. Yeah. You know, because one of my favorite movies is a movie that the director hates. Uh, I love Maximum Overdrive. It's one of my one of my favorite oh, movies. Yes. And and quoting that one. I don't know why, but I've, I've been in this like, you know, what if all my like all my things are out to get me? I, I've had I've had moments of that actually in the last while. So I'm so it, glad you mentioned it because I haven't seen it in forever. And I think I need to rewatch re it. it it, it's so over camp, you know, and Stephen King said, oh, well, I was kind of high on cocaine at that time when I made it and I didn't like it. I'm like, it's such a wonderful energy to it. That just this crazy film. It's It's got all the elements that was still of Stephen King, you know, all those mm -hmm. signature things. But at the same time, it's as if he's doing a B movie, you know. So you yeah. got your blue collar worker, you got your, you, you got your, all your King elements. It's just as if, you know, he made this B movie. <laughs> and that's yeah. what I love, you know. Uh, you know, what what things, speaking of kind of differences in films, what kind of things from Willow's song did you bring to uh, uh, to Cheer or Die? You know, did, was there anything that you kind of brought to it? You know, they want, I think that, I mean, I, I did bring my composer of all, of sure. all people, but I wasn't allowed to, like, not, not wasn't allowed, but, you know, it's a right. different vibe together. Right. But I think that um, it's funny because the studio, the way I treated it was, the opening part of Bring It On is part of the like Bring It On franchise, yep. mm -hmm. right? And I knew that by the time I handed it back to them, I wanted the ending to also be back in the franchise. 
but that whole middle bit was pretty well mined. So I'd say nice. from second act onward, they were like, go to town. And I, I got to actually, you know, do something that was uh, light and fun. And the, 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 the hardest thing was, um, and it, it's actually that way in Willow as well. I didn't want to show, and we weren't allowed to show any real blood, you know, right. like, so mm -hmm. when I first got the, the script for it, you know, technically I didn't, I wasn't supposed to write it, but you, know, you, you have to yeah. just for production. But um, the first draft of the script that I ended up with was quite a lot more like it was a lot bloodier and there was a lot, a lot of things. But I couldn't do that because we were at, on a PG-13. And so I really did have to think about how much blood. And if so, what are we seeing? And can, can I actually go for a funny ha laugh scare at the same time? So there was uh, there was definitely that. But I think the studio was really much like they were like, you know what, that middle part, you know, you go to town on your horror stuff. And so like a lot of the atmosphere and stuff like that, that was it. Like, you know, just the creeping down hallways and that sort of stuff is something that I, I love doing. So. Yeah, your your locations for both films were fantastic. Uh, do you do you take some time to really seek out your locations? Uh, yeah, for your films, definitely. The locations often like if you get a good location, it takes care of so much of your work. You know, mm -hmm. like just having lots of different angles, different things that you can play with texture. You know, it's always good. Right. And uh, with the school that we filmed, um, bring it on in. It was actually an abandoned school, and part of the problem is that we had actually all these hallways. And then before we went in, it turned out that two of the hallways had asbestos and we had to plug those up. So I literally only had two hallways to dress up and down and I had to make it feel like a big labyrinth of a school. You know what I mean? And so that was that was challenging because I had two hallways that were not flooded and asbestos. Like, do not lick the whip, like walls. It was just very, like, yeah. You, you just you just take the Doctor Who stands, right? And just keep running down the same hall, just different angles, but down the same hall. That it was totally it was so doctor who in that way like <laughs> yeah it's definitely um you had to be really inventive like you know can we play with the lighting can we play with the angle can we like dress it a little bit differently like moving just just being a little bit more creative and i did want the abandoned school to be like where you couldn't figure out the the look like mm -hmm. just the, where anything was like a tardis you know like this school gets bigger and bigger what's happening to it so yeah <laughs> Well, uh, both films are a lot of fun and doll parts, and, and, and I've really enjoyed your work, and I'll, I'm going to be checking out the other stuff. Um, what advice would you have, I guess, for the final question here, is for an up-and-coming, especially a female filmmaker who maybe wants to get into horror or whatnot, what, what kind of advice would you give them? I would definitely say, like, start with a short film, you know, like, and nowadays we can really afford to do them. Like, you can film it on your, you know, like, our cell phones are good enough right, right. now, and you can you can actually start making things like that but starting with like a good script or a, a writing something that actually speaks to you like i i think that what i've tried to do again and again in all of my films short and small and i still love doing short films by the way so i am not like i'm only features at this point. i love short films because it's a chance for us to play and um i think it's as much as possible finding the horror in really personal stories if you can you know, like, I, I think we've all seen enough of five stupid te teenagers go to the woods and get butchered, right? Like that we've seen quite a few times. Sure. But if you bring something really personal to it or something unusual and you can find the horror angle to it, that to me is like, wow, like that sets that that sets you up into something doing doing something original. Fantastic. Well, uh, where can they keep up with your stuff when, uh, you know, with what projects you're coming up? Because it's not like you always have something in the fire. Uh, you got a social media site or where can they follow you? Okay, this is really embarrassing. My social 
media that is available to everyone is mm. unfortunately on Instagram and, and it's my cats. So because <laughs> I'm not even me, I'm my cats and I literally am the human that services these two creatures. So um, it's a uh, Mateo underscore Sophia, they're twin tuxedo cats. And I literally, again, and Sophia with an F. So Mateo and Sophia are my two cats. I brought them to, like when I was filming Bring It On, we were in Winnipeg. So, you know, it's closer to your neck of the woods and I'm sure, actually yeah. from Manitoba myself. So I, I, I know where you are. <laughs> so um, yeah, basically I, that was the biggest negotiating tactic that I had with the studio. They're like, uh, is it pay? Is it nothing? I was like, no, my cats have to be there. So anyway, that's just sad. Anyway, so Mateo slash under underscore uh, Sophia underscore. And uh, I try to do some stuff there. I have a website, Karen Lamb Films, but I need to uh, update it. So that's uh, some of my old. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Everybody, I think, has a, a website they have to update. Uh, you know, Everyone tough. does, right? You, you do really well for the first two years. And then you're like, oh, a website. What, what was that? And then people are like, oh, my God. Okay. I need to update that big time. And yeah, so, I yeah. I've I've got that too. There's some links where they're really great, and other links to where they. I, well, I haven't updated that in like a year. I'm like, that's a year old. No, I have not updated since the pandemic, so that's bad. Like, I feel like, oh, <laughs> like to me, that's the three years that became one, and it's like speaking of hardest years. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. Like, it's it's sped up and it slowed down. So it it definitely threw I think everybody's internal clock off though. So. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't the first year the longest year you've ever spent? And then all of a sudden this year seems to be like a really fast year. Like how are we in September? Like it's, yeah, yeah, it was just May. It was literally just May. <laughs> yeah. And then something happened and now we're in September. And I'm like, is it soon going to be December? Like what's happening? Wait, yeah. I'm, I I feel like we played mini putt and we went in the clown's nose and we should have gone through the mouth instead. <laughs> and we got shot out some other like bowl. And I'm like, I'm very confused. So yeah. <laughs> I think we all are, but Folks, you will not be confused uh, when you see uh, Curse of Willow Song, or if you go uh, watch uh, Bring It On, Cheer or Die, or like I said, Doll Parts, check it out on Sheevenge. It's a great uh, anthology of uh, female-driven horror. Uh, you know, thank you so much, Karen, for this. Folks, check it out. Uh, Curse of Willow Song will be on digital and DVD September 26th. So, uh, you know, it, it, within a few days. So, of this recording. So I thank you very much, Karen. And yeah, check it out, folks. You will not be disappointed.